Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. We've all heard God can fix what the world has broken. It sounds great, and we believe it. But somehow we still feel broken. I know God can, but how? Why do we still feel shame and relive pain? This is Unbroken, an intensely practical series designed to connect the dots between what we know God can do and actually experiencing it. Hey, uh, first of all, before we get into the message, I want to tell you, it has been an incredible week uh, with the week of prayer and fasting. We've been here every morning and uh, Monday night as well. And I'm going to tell you, one of the things that we asked you last week and said that we want to see God do in our church, will you join us? Will you pray for this? That is that the prayer level in the church would increase. And in case you're wondering what that meant, that didn't mean that somewhere in a room there's a jar and we want some liquid called prayer level poured into it. It's not separate from you. What that meant is that in each of you, your desire to seek God would would be raised up. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that happened when we had some of our prayer meetings. Like Monday night, we we do this every, every year, twice a year. And we had more than triple the number of people Monday night than we had in January. That'll tell you that, that people are coming to seek God. Uh, yesterday morning, uh, Saturday morning, we had at least double what we normally have on Saturday, and Saturday is usually our largest gathering. So uh, I'm thrilled. I'm excited to see what God has done over the week. The reason we left all these cards kind of scattered on the stage, if, if you can see these from your seat, these are the cards that you filled out last Sunday morning that we have prayed over repeatedly every single morning. So if you filled out a, a card, you're, you've probably been prayed for 20 times individually by different people all throughout the week. Uh, maybe even more than that. And so, first of all, I want to point out, if you missed it, because you were on vacation, bummer, uh, but second of all, you can seek God anytime. You can pray and you can fast, and you probably should. We do this twice a year as an example, not to say it's the only time you can do this. So anytime that you feel like you need to get closer to God and you need God to do something in your life that only He can do, let me encourage you, fast and pray on your own. But in case you want to be a part of this, the next time we're doing it, let me go and give you a heads up. Mark your calendars for January 22nd. Sunday, January 22nd, we'll be kicking off our first week of prayer and fasting for 2017, uh, and uh, you don't want to miss it. So, you guys good? All right, we're starting a new series today. Excited about this one. It is called Unbroken. And there are two truths that we know. The first one is that we are broken and we live in a broken world. Everybody agree to that one? The second one, though, more importantly, is God can heal all that is broken. We know, I appreciate all those amens, because we know that God can remove our shame. God can take away the condemnation. That God can remove the despair. That God can make us victors where the enemy has brought defeat. We know God can do all of those things. And yet, my experience has told me in working with believers is that what we know, what we just said and agreed to, and there were some scattered amens around the room saying, yes, that's true, that our lives, what we experience, is one step removed from what we know. And we ask this question, so wait a minute, if God can remove all of our shame, if God can heal all of these things, if he can take away the despair, if we can live free in our souls, why do we not experience this? And I think part of it is because we, we think that the way that the healing comes is so mystical, we don't know how to touch it. I, I think some of us think, oh, God will remove my shame. And we have this idea that like an angel will show up in your bedroom at night and they'll touch you with a magic finger that glows at the end, kind of like E.T. 
and poof, your shame is gone. And, and we just have this weird idea that it's going to be some sort of experience that has nothing to do with my daily life. I want to tell you the true inspiration for this series. There are a few things uh, that I'll preach. I'll get an idea. I feel like God tells me to do something. I'll go and work on it, do some research, put some things together. But then there are times that God will give me an entire message like that. He'll just, boom, right there in my spirit. And this is one of those times. And I'm going to tell you what started it. One Sunday, uh, probably six, nine months ago, I don't remember exactly, I was preaching on a particular passage. And I know on any given Sunday, at any moment, that I stand up and preach on something that it's a sore spot for someone in the room. I mean, that's where we live. It's where we're going to be. There's not a single topic that I can get up and speak on that won't touch someone in a sensitive area of their soul. And so I always try to speak in a way that, that will bring comfort, but will also bring people to healing in that area. And so there is one passage in Scripture that uh, is very well known for addressing a particular sin issue. I wasn't even going to talk about the sin issue. There's actually other things going on in that passage. That's what I was going to speak about that morning. But the minute that I said, if you will, join me and turn to this passage in your Bible, immediately someone got up, grabbed all of their belongings, and they were done for the day. Don't worry, they're, they're back. They came back every other week. They just couldn't hear that. And so while I am trying to speak to everyone in the room the message that I had prepared for that day, there's a totally different thing going on in my head because I'm watching this happen, and I know that this person has dealt with this sin issue in their past, but in their past. And I know that it's beyond them. I know that they've, they've received healing. I know they've, re, they've been through counseling. I know they're, they're whole. They're, they're put back together. Their life is right. And I think to myself and to God while I'm trying to preach, why can this person not hear? Why can this person not sit through this? And realizing at this point, this person is overwhelmed with the shame. Even though they've, they're, they're healed, even though things have been put back together, even though things are now made right, there is still something in them that says, oh my gosh, I can't deal with looking this in the face and saying, that's what I've done. Overwhelmed with shame. And so I began in my head, again, trying to preach a message to everyone in the room saying, but God, why is shame so, so prevalent? Why is healing so far away? And thinking through, what, what is it that we actually need to do? There's got to be something that's tangible, something that's practical that can help us. And so I want to tell you, I have a specific goal for this series for me. And that is that I will not be a preacher who fires you up for the next four weeks. You know, I mean, I'm a preacher. I like to do that. I like when you get a little excited and you clap halfway through a message. I like when there's some amens agreeing. I like when you come up on the way out the door and say, man, that inspired me. I'm going to go do such and such this week. I don't want to inspire you for the next four weeks. I want to help. And that's my goal. I want to give you the most tangible, practical ways to take what we know about God that is one step away and bring it back to practicality. I want you to be able to walk out these doors and whatever it is we're talking about over these four weeks, I want you to be able to actually access and experience what God has for your life. That's the goal. Pray for me that I can do that. Because I believe what God has given me is going to be powerful. Whether or not I can get it out of me and to you, well, we're going to have to trust the Holy Spirit for that one. So we're going to start off with the topic of shame. 
And we've got four really big topics we're going to do throughout this series. Some of you might want to rethink your Labor Day travel plans because the deepest, biggest, toughest thing that we all deal with, I've saved for Labor Day weekend. I'm not going on the vacation to the beach. Maybe you shouldn't either unless you, you like that broken part of your life. Today, though, I really meant that nicer than it came out. But I'm just, I'm just going to let that ride because maybe some of you need that. So the question would be, do you struggle with shame? And no one is going to raise their hand because that's the very nature of it. The very nature of shame says, let me keep it inside. Let me keep it hidden. Let me think that this can remain a secret. And as I ask, do you struggle with shame immediately? Some of you go, of course. And others of you may say, no, I don't, I don't really think I do. But let me touch on that for a second. Do you even know what shame is? You see, if there is a part of you that says, I've got to keep this hidden, I've got to make sure no one ever knows. I've at least got to make sure those people never know. Because if those people or anyone ever did know, their idea of me would be completely changed. I would be utterly embarrassed if anyone knew and fill in the blank. If any of those things are true, then yes, you struggle with shame. I'm going to use the same passage that caused someone to walk out before, and I hope no one will walk out today. Because if you're the person that needs to walk out when I tell you where we're going in the Bible, you of all people need to sit still. Because there's healing if you can make it through 30 minutes of this. Amen? You guys with me? Turn to John chapter 4 with me. Our passage today is probably the most overwhelming demonstration of someone who is riddled with her shame. Because it deals with something that she's done in her life. But I'm also going to tell you, if you make it to the end of the passage, you're going to see that this is also, I think, one of the greatest passages in the scripture of showing how to break the power of shame in your life. That's what I want to do with us today. And so we're going to start in verse 5, John chapter 4. It says, so Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied, as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And you need to understand what that means because that is critically important to the story. You see, the Jews would count their day from the time the sun came up. So their day began at approximately 6 a.m. So saying it's the sixth hour means this was basically noon, high noon, heat of the day. The time when people needed to be indoors doing their work, not the time that people needed to be outdoors doing things that took out their energy, but it was high noon, and a woman from Samaria came to draw water. I'm going to walk you through three things that we're going to see in this story that correlate to our lives. The problem is, in the story, we're going to see three, but in most of our lives, we only see the first two. And so my practical hope for us today is that you'll learn to access the third. The first thing that we see is her shame is revealed. That's what's taking place here. What was she ashamed of? We're going to read the story in just a minute. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, she's ashamed of her sexual immorality. She's ashamed of her adultery. We're about to find out that she has had at least six different partners in just this one village. And if you've got six different male partners in one village, you've got at least six angry women. Come on, ladies. And for every one angry woman, how many other women are associated? Because of the number of friends. The 2,000, 4,000, however many year old Jewish Facebook version of, hey, let me post to you what has happened to me, and so and so did it. So there was probably no woman in the city that she was safe to talk to, safe to be around, and so she came 
to get her water at noon because everybody else came earlier. Everybody else came just as the sun came up, so it was still cool. And they would carry their water jars. I mean, we're talking about a hot and sandy place, right? And they would carry their water jars so they could go and get their water so they could get back home before the heat of the day. Nobody would come at noon, which is why she was there. She knew no one would confront her. No one would mock her. No one would point at her. There wouldn't be two or three or five or 20 ladies sitting there gossiping gossiping and whispering about her. She knew that she could come on her own, in peace, in quiet, keep what she's struggling with inside. No women would be there. See, here's what the problem was, though. Her shame dictated her entire life. Even how she went about routine things like getting water. She had to do at a certain time because her shame wouldn't allow her to do what was best for her in another way. While everybody else was already back home and they were in the cool of the day doing their housework and doing their laundry and preparing meals, she had to be out doing something in the heat. It had, it had changed everything about how she lived. I want you to think about this for yourself. How has shame changed your life? What restaurants can you not eat at? What stores can you not go to? What cities can you no longer visit because of someone you might run into? What songs can you not listen to because of the memories of what you were doing when that song last played? How does the shame that still overwhelms you and controls you, how does it dictate your life just like it did hers? And the longer she lived this way, the more that her shame dominated. If you think, well, the longer she does this, eventually she'll get over it. No, no, no. The longer she did it, the more it gripped her. The more that that became a routine, the more that she forgot there was a better way to live. She had been doing this for so long, she probably didn't even notice that it was a sweat anymore to go at noon and to think about this. No woman would be there. No man would speak to her but Jesus. This is where the story turns. How many of you love those two words? But Jesus. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, As for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, when when I read this, I think she's got a little bit of an attitude. I think she's kind of got a little bit of a smart mouth tone to what she's saying. And the reason for it is this. How many of you know when we get into our own little world and we're hiding our own little issues, the last thing we want is some bubbly, smiley person? Right? Right? Like the worst thing you can do on a bad day is go eat at Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody there is happy. And you walk in the, and you walk in the door and, and you just want to order your food and sit in a corner and be left alone. And, but you're not going to get the chance. Well, hey, how are you? How was your day? I don't want to talk about my day. Give me some chicken and fries. And you finally get your stuff and you go sit over in the corner. You want to be left alone. And somebody, can I get you a refill? Can I help you with that? We get so irritated. I'll know I get into travel mode when I'm, I'm traveling halfway around the country, got to go speak or do something. And, 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 you know, you're just thinking all these other thoughts. Maybe I'm working on sermons in my head and I'm just going, and somebody will say, uh, excuse me, sir. And I'm like, what, 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 what do you, you know? And we get into that mode. And I think she's, she came out knowing no women will be there. Any man there won't dare say a word to her because any man knows her. He knows he better not, not in public. And any other man, it would be a cultural 
taboo for someone who doesn't know her to just come up and speak to her, especially a Jewish man like Jesus. And so she's just walking up. He's sitting there. She's ignoring him, starting to get her water. And he says, will you give me a drink? And then she's like, how is it that you? I mean, can you understand the tone? She's irritated. She's frustrated. Leave me alone. There's a reason I'm here right now. And if I wanted to talk to people, I'd have come when it was easier. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who, is it, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then the woman said to him, sir, see, I, I, I read this as though she is still incredibly irritated. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you think you're going to get this living water? When we took our trip to Israel recently as a church, those of you that went with us, you, you went to this well. We, we got to drink water out of this well. And one of the things that we do uh, that they want to show to you is how deep it is. And so you, you get the water out of the well and you bring the bucket all the way back up and you fill up a cup of water and then you turn it over and you pour it out completely. Splash. That's how deep it is. You can take time to turn the entire cup over and everybody waits in silence until it finally hits the bottom. You know what's interesting, though? Why am I telling you that? Because here's what we do, exactly what she did. We will meet Jesus and God will say, this is what I can do in your life. And we immediately go, well, you know, I don't think so because like this is too hard and that's too difficult. The well is too deep and my problems are too big. Let me tell you all the reasons in the natural you can't do what you said you would do. She goes on, are you greater than our father Jacob? Don't you know about Jacob? If you guys remember, we just did a series on Jacob. Here's how big of a deal Jacob was. They referred to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's one of the three to get named as, as being the name for God. As that's how they identify him. He's the last one that they needed to use his name for. So whenever they would refer to their, who is your God? Our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you're going to tell me you're bigger than one of those three? You're going to tell me you're better than that guy? He built this well. He gave it to, what do you, excuse me? Who do you think you are? She's still irritated because he's messing with her. She's trying to hide in her shame and he's interrupting. He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And then Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of, of, of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, to, now, now I think her irritation has stopped. I want you to catch what she does here. She says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Once again, we do exactly what this woman does. We say, thank you, God, that I've met you. I don't really want you to do much inside of me. I don't really want you to change me. Thank you that I'm going to heaven. But in the most part, I just want you to help me keep my sin stuff stuffed down and hidden and nobody else figured out. Oh, you got some water so I won't have to come here and confront my shame ever again? You want to help me keep this hidden? That's what I'd like from you. You got some water so I'll never have to come again? Please give me that. Hey, God, if you don't mind, please give me some money so I won't have to confront my spending habits. Hey, God, if you don't mind, you know, do this for me so I don't have to deal with that. We don't ever want to deal with what's going on in here. And the good news, though, is God says, or Jesus says, or excuse me, but no. No, I'm not going to let you hold on to this. Matter of fact, why don't we just expose why you're here in the first place? So Jesus' answer to her, well, how about let me give you, i tell you what, I'll give you that water if you do this one thing for me. No, that sentence is not in there, but I'll add it. Here's what Jesus actually said. 
Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him. And I can imagine she's thinking, well, I can get away with this. He doesn't really know anything. I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. And if you read, there's no space between the words. But I'm going to tell you, if you were watching this, there is space. And her attitude has gone from I'm ignoring the person at the well to I'm irritated with the person at the well to I'm arguing with the person at the well to oh my gosh, who is the person at the well? I imagine she didn't even quite look him in the eyes anymore. I imagine it was a little bit of a head down going, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where, where people ought to worship. What she means by that is our fathers, we're Samaritans, we worshipped on this mountain, but you, your people, the Jews, the Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we, people ought to worship. And I'm going to tell you, if you've heard a sermon on this before, I'm about to disagree with something that I've heard a lot of people preach. What a lot of people say at this point is she's trying to divert attention. When Jesus said, oh, actually, you're not with your husband, you've actually had five, and the one you have is not yours, she's trying to go, oh, hey, by the way, can we talk theology for a second? I don't think that's what's happening. And you can choose that if that's what you want to believe. Here's what I think is happening, because I think she immediately goes from, wait a minute. I can see you're a prophet. If you can tell me that about me, and I can see she takes a step forward. Our father said we have to worship here. Let me tell you what's going on in her heart. Let me just translate that sentence. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. I am utterly filled with shame. I have done everything I can to get rid of it. I go to the temple time and time again. I do everything that I've been trained to do and raised up to do, and I've worshiped God as best I know possible, and I can't get rid of it. And so maybe the problem is I'm not doing it right. And since you people are the originals, you're the ones that have the real recipe and you have the real answers, please tell me how I can fix this. I don't think she's diverting attention at all. I think she's broken in her heart. He just called her out, and I think she's like, this is the one chance I've got. Nobody knows. How in the world does this man know? This man has got to be from God, and, and I'm tired of living like this. I want to be fixed. I want to be healed. I want to I be unbroken. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman the woman said to him, she's, she's figured out he's a prophet. Now she's thinking, wait a minute, there's more, to, there's more to him than that. She says, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus cuts her off immediately. I don't think there's any space between these words. And Jesus goes, I who speak to you am he. Now I wish we had a little more of what's going on in her mind at that point. But just like always happens in life, the best moments get interrupted. 
and the disciples showed back up. We got bread, Jesus. We got bread. Hey, look, it's even got cheese on top. And immediately she looks and she sees all these people and all these other men. Here she's speaking to a Jewish man, which is not a good thing in the first place. And, 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 and so as they start talking to Jesus about the food that they've got, she leaves her water jar and she goes into the city. This is the second thing that we all have. The first that we all have in common, shame. We all have shame. And then if you know God, if you know who Jesus is, the second thing that we all have is an encounter with him. The problem is that we don't ever get set free like she does. We're missing the third element. You see, she met the Savior that she and all of history had been waiting for. Now she's actually met him. And he has something that is never going to run out. He has promised her a well of living water that will be inside of her. He's talking about his spirit which lives in him. That's later in the story. We don't, we'll get to that. It's actually a couple of chapters later. Not even in that story. In a different one. Where he says, this is my spirit that will dwell inside of every one of my believers. And I believe at that moment, according to the way this works, that she just recognized who he is. He even said, I am the Messiah. And I'm pretty sure she was convinced in her heart at that moment, which means that the Holy Spirit began living inside of her. And so we see what happened. What did she immediately do? The first thing that happens, what does she do? She does something that a person ruled by shame would never do. She goes to the people who know everything about her. And says, hey, I know you know everything about me, and yet here I am. I need to tell you something. Skip down to verse 28. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And later in the story, or I'm sorry, she asked, can this be the Christ? And, and just a little later in the story, it tells us this. This is the, the, the great ending. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me. All that I ever did. You see, this is the third ingredient that we miss out on. Her shame is defeated. Her shame is defeated. Are, are you getting this? This woman used to hide from everyone in the city because they knew what she did. And she goes running up into the town square in a public place in the middle of the day saying, Hey, I met somebody who told me all that I ever did. And I know that the minute that I say the words, all that I ever did, everything that I ever did just came to your mind. I know I just reminded you of all the reasons I've been ashamed for so long. I know you're now imagining it, you're thinking it. I know there are some men that are very nervous right now and some women that are very angry, but I've got to tell you something. She wasn't hiding anymore. You see, here's what she could have done. And this is where it gets really practical, so pay attention. She could have taken her water jar and she could have done what American Christians do every day of their lives, what most of us have done. Oh, wow, this was powerful. This was a great day at church. I met Jesus. Well, let me get my water jar and just go back home now. Let me just manage my life. I'm going to heaven. This will be great. I can just kind of stuff the shame down. This is great. Tomorrow when I go to the well, maybe I'll get to meet Jesus again. Maybe he'll be back there at noon again. I'm going to heaven. This is great. What a great broken life I'm going to manage here on earth. But she said, huh, water jar, chores. No, no, no. Let me go. You see, when we go back home, 
and we take our, our ticket to heaven and our, 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 our daily routine and we just try to manage things and we try to stuff our shame, we're all about our glory. I don't want anybody to know my stuff. I need to look good. I need to act good. I need to keep my glory intact. But if you haven't figured this out yet, God's not interested in your glory. He's interested in his. And the only way he gets glory is when you tell what he's done. And this is where things break down for us. This is so opposite to what we think. You see, acknowledging the reason for our shame is actually the secret to removing the shame. How backwards is that? I need you to hear that again. Acknowledging the reason for our shame is actually the secret to removing the shame. Let me explain what I mean by that. We all want to be set free from our shame, but Jesus' restoration is actually about the redemption that he does. And so as long as we're embarrassed by the sin that we've done, we can't be proud of the redemption that he's done. Redemption stories replace shame stories. And if you don't own your shame story, you can't tell the redemption story. You can't tell what God has done if you don't tell what you've done. The only way to destroy shame is to tell how it was actually redeemed. You want to destroy the shame that you've been hiding in your life, the very thing you hope no one knows, you've got to let somebody know. That's the only way to destroy the power that shame has over your life. You know, I, I talk to men all the time that either struggle with a lust issue or have struggled with a lust issue, and they're ashamed of it. They'll come in my office and they'll sit down and they'll close the door and say, Pastor, I need some help. And they'll talk a little quieter. I was talking with somebody this past week. It's really funny. Invited me to his house, sat down in his living room. He said, you know, I'd really like you just to get to know me better. I used to really struggle with, <laughs> what a way to open it. I'd like you to get to know me better. He has no shame. Because right after he goes out with what he used to struggle with, he tells me how God set him free of it. And he says, I want you to know who I am. You see, getting set free from shame is when you say, I can't tell you who I am because who I am is what God has done and what he set me free from, and I can't tell you that unless I tell you where I was. I can't tell you who I am unless you know who I used to be. You've got to be able to say to someone, hey, you know what, there was a time. Hey, you know what, this is who I used to be. This is what I used to do. I struggled with that sin. Hey, you know what? I know exactly what you're talking about. Been there, done that. And I'm not afraid to admit it. Because if I can admit it, I can admit to you what God did. I can tell you all that I ever did. Because I can tell you how he set me free from it. You see, we say we're Christians, which means we're supposed to be saved and redeemed. But the problem with us as Christians is we don't want to say what we're saved and redeemed from. Well, hey, I'm bought by the blood, saved and redeemed. Really, what'd you struggle? Oh, nothing. I was a pretty good person, actually. Excuse me, I thought you needed a savior. You can't be redeemed if you weren't a sinner. You can't be healed if you weren't sick. You can't be made whole if you weren't broken. I mean, imagine somebody comes to you and goes, oh, man, thank you for praying for me. They let me out of the hospital after the visit to the ER. I'm totally good. And you look at them and go, well, what was wrong? Well, I can't tell you. Well, I'm not really sure that's much of a testimony. You've been made whole in the first place. Maybe you never were sick. 
until we boldly hear that word. Because some of you are not going to like what I'm about to say. Until we boldly own our story of shame, we cannot loudly proclaim our story of redemption. You can't tell what God has done until you're willing to say what you've done. And I want to show you another example. One sentence. One sentence out of the Bible. I want to show you Jesus dealing with this very issue. If this is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Matter of fact, this verse starts out saying that we should look to Jesus as our model. It's out of Hebrews 12. Don't take time to turn there. It says this. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. You know what that means? It means the shame was real. It means our Savior endured shame. And if you think, wait a minute, how could that be? Well, let me explain it to you. A pure, perfect, and holy God suddenly had all of the sins of the world upon him so much that even the Father in heaven turned his back and all of the people on the earth who mocked him, who ridiculed him, were looking at him going, loser! You lost. You said you would tear down a temple and raise it again and look at you. You want to talk about shame? Talk about the one who came to bring life to everyone. Hangs dead on a cross at the hand of mere mortals. You want to talk about the most horrifically shameful moment in all of history. Your shame knows nothing compared to what he felt. And what's the point? Because if he stayed dead, he would have stayed in shame. We would have nothing to celebrate the fact that he died for us. What good would that do? If he remains dead in his shame, defeated. No. The shame was destroyed because he rose again. The enemy doesn't get to point at his shame anymore. The enemy runs in fear of his victory. You see, here's the problem with shame is is it comes because we think we have a gloating enemy. And we think we have a gloating enemy because of defeat. And here's the deal. As long as you go, man, I can't believe I did that. I'm such a horrible person. And you live in defeat, then you will have a gloating enemy. It'll be Satan himself. And you will think that it's everyone in the room. You will think that if anyone else knew what you did, they would look at you and go, ha, ha, ha. I never did what you did. You think there's a gloating enemy. There's only one way to silence the gloating enemies, and that is with victory. When someone points at you and says, I know what you did, say, well, you didn't point all day long. Let me tell you what God did. Victory, you shut them up. It's how Jesus destroyed the shame that he endured on the cross. So this is really simple. Are you tired of living in shame? Don't raise your hands, of course. You can't. Are you tired of letting shame rule your life? then here is your practical way to bridge what God can do to what you actually live. Own your story. Just own your story. Doesn't mean you have to get it printed on a t-shirt, walking around, scarlet letter kind of thing. No, but it means anytime you get a chance, you are looking for the chance to share. You hear somebody else is struggling, you say, hey, come here. You're not alone. Can I talk to you? When somebody comes up to you and says, you know, hey, I heard you used to steal. Yep, I sure did. And let me tell you what God did and how he set me free from it. Instead of, excuse me, who told you that? And in your head, you're secretly, only seven people know. I'm going to go get one of them. No, you just, 
Totally different attitude. Yeah, I did. Somebody comes to you and says, I heard you were an addict. Yeah, I was. I was. With a smile on your face. That is who I was. It is not who I am. And let me tell you how I got here by telling you where I was. And in this woman's case, someone comes up and says, I heard you used to be immoral. You're right. You're right. Let me tell you about my darkest days, my worst moments, and how I almost destroyed everything. Because I want to help you because Jesus helped me. It is that simple. Own your story. And it is that simple. If you don't own your story, you'll be riddled by shame the rest of your life. It'll never go away. You know, I, I preach all the time with some of the marriage stories. And I talk about how my wife and I, we had a pretty bad marriage in the beginning of of, of our lives and and we use that to help redeem things and, and people will honestly come to me and go that couldn't be true first of all your stories are so utterly ridiculous no two people could have survived that and second of all if they were true no one would dare share them publicly well they're all true because we're no longer ashamed i can share with you the worst details of how i got here because it's the only right that i have to be here you got to destroy the shame. My wife and I are not ashamed of where our marriage used to be. Why? Because we're glad for where it is. But while it was there, we tried everything we could to fake it and to hide the fact we were ashamed of what it was really like. And I need to pause and touch on just one more thing. I have spoken this entire morning as though what you are ashamed of is past tense. But I know for all of you it's not. And there is one other caveat. For those of you that your shame is past tense, you're free, you're healed, you've gotten counseling, you've walked out of that thing, you just need to own your story. But for those of you that your shame is riddling you because you just did it last night, you just did it this week, because you are still ruled by the very thing that makes you ashamed, please tell somebody. Please find someone who can help and tell somebody. Because you can never be free of the shame as long as you feed the thing that is causing it. Can't deal with the shame as long as the reason for it keeps showing up. You've got to go to somebody and say, look, I am riddled with shame. I am ruled by shame. And I need you to help me stop what is causing it to be in my life. So I'm going to close with this. When Jesus came to the earth, one of the things that he did is he walked into a temple at one point. He pulled out some scrolls. He pulled them out and he read them. And then he sat down. And here's what he read. And here's his promise for you. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. And instead of dishonor, you shall rejoice. Shame only has power because it's hidden. You can never tell what God has done. you're willing to tell what you've done destroy the shame own your story so you can tell his story amen I want to end today by making sure 
that those of you who are not yet sure that you could say Jesus is your Savior, that you can make a decision about that here today. Jesus will remove your shame and Jesus will heal. Jesus will set you free. And just like the woman at the well, the minute that you recognize he is the Messiah and you interact with him on a personal basis, he becomes yours personally. If you've never done that, if you've never had a moment where you looked at Jesus hanging on the cross where time just crashes together, 2,000 years collapse, and you look at him on the cross and say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you are hanging on that cross in the shame I deserved. And now I will live for you. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that this morning. If you all would just join me right where you're seated, pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I do thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you paid a penalty I deserve to pay. I thank you that you endured a shame I deserve to endure. I worship you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Yeah, amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.